Welcome to Security All In. This is Sam Curry. I'm Chief Security Officer for Cyber Reason. And Security All In is a show where we look at when we go all in on security or security maybe went all in on us, uh, what makes us tick as people and what we bring to our profession. And in particular, we use a, a motif of poker when, when it fits and when it applies. And we also uh, try to really understand the risk taking we as human beings take, whether it's in a game of poker or sitting at a boardroom table and how to advance security. And I'm very lucky and glad uh, to welcome John Ruskoff. John, uh, welcome to the uh, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. And your title is Chief Security Officer for Tropicana, is that right? Correct. So I'm VP of uh, Cybersecurity and Chief Information Security Officer. And how long have you been there? Because we've met, we've met in one incarnation in the past at least. How long have you been with Tropicana? Uh, I've been with Tropicana about 18 months. Which, by the way, is beating the odds for a lot of CISOs and a lot of positions. So this is a, a change of industry, though, for you, right? You, uh, When we first met, you were at Comcast, as, as we discovered, and I was at Arbor at the time. What's it like getting into this industry? It's a much different approach to security. Comcast was very cutting edge, you know, 1,000 miles an hour. I used to tell the guys there, it's, you know, there's a jet flying by and you're trying to grab onto it while it's going. And the jet's not stopping for you no matter what you need to do. But gaming is a little more slow down a little bit when it comes to cybersecurity. There's a much more methodical approach. There's manual processes for just about everything that needs to get done. And the internet and its manifestations within the gaming industry are fairly new. You know, online gaming in being run through the casinos and by the casinos is really only, you know, several years old. And everything was pretty much self-contained up to that point. So it's it's very similar to the conservative approach that you would find in a financials and even a little bit more conservative than that. Yeah, you know, when I think of the gaming industry, I think of people who really know their numbers. They know the angles. They know the edges. I think of people who have a better mental model for what the ups and downs are in statistical probability than I do. And that makes me nervous, by the way, when I walk into a casino. So is that the basis? Is that true? Uh, is that a basis for the conservatism? Or um, is my assumption wrong or how it might apply to security? No, no, that's that's very accurate. And, you know, the other approach, keep in mind, you know, locked doors and cameras and physical security was really the approach that was taken for years, you know, and counting and financial, that's what I'm looking for. To be able to reconcile everything from a financial standpoint, to know that, you know, what is in a slot machine and what makes the count room and what leaves the count room, that's really where they balanced everything across the board. And now you throw in this concept that when you plug it in in one room, it's going to potentially be able to talk to something that's, you know, two buildings or two campuses or two properties away. And the fact that now you introduce Wi-Fi into that and now you have the internet you know, these are things that are that make everybody here a little nervous. And because they make everybody a little nervous, you know, rightly so, they have a tendency to take a much more conservative approach towards things. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I hadn't thought about it, but you just gave me a mental image of the first time I walked into another industry, into a Fry's computer store in California, and they had this cage where they kept the CPUs because they perceived that as the thing that was valuable. And you, you had to, like, you could buy a computer, but you had to sign it out. And I remember asking someone where they got it from. They said, oh, this is from the gaming industry. Like, this model is, that's where the chips are. That's where the value was sitting. But of course, that's not there now, right? It's all fluid. It's all moving. And the kinds of risks you deal with are the same kinds of risks as many kinds of organization. I, I, it sounds like you, you're you almost, I, I don't want to get in trouble by using the word, but you're almost a bank in terms of understanding interest rates and risks and liability and how money flows, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we 
we provide credit. I mean, we reconcile, we we deposit. I mean, it's it's very similar to the banking or the financial industry. So let's uh, let's change gears here a little bit. Let's uh, let's go back to a young John and looking in looking out at the world. Um, how early on did you know that security was for you, or or did that ever actually happen? Was there a moment, and you know, did you train in this? What were the early years like? I think there's a lot of combination of, you know, formal training later in life, but a lot of trial and error when you're younger. So, I I mean, to say that I knew I wanted to do this when I was probably 12, 13 years, 13, 14 years old is not an exaggeration. I mean, I think there's a lot of people and hopefully there's a lot of people that are listening that are kind of my age or older that understand what I'm talking about and not much, much younger who should go look this up if they don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, there was a movie that's been around for a long time. It's called War Games. Oh, yeah. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, yeah, you buy a modem, hook it up to your Commodore 64, and you, you know, start war dialing and try to get as much as you can get. But you know, when security back then was much different than it is today. You oh, know, yeah. If you could dial into a system, you could have access to it. So we didn't even call it security in those days. I had a, I didn't have the Trash 80. One of my buddies had that, and I never had a Commodore 64, but I had the TI 99, and just had a blast. And of course, I had the terminals. My father was a university professor, so in those days, it was just trying to get away with stuff, right? It was um, not only that; it was understanding how things worked. So uh, early days was what sounds like early 80s for you. And then what did you study formally after that? So when I, let's put this into perspective. So I go through high school, I get into college. There was no internet in college, right? I mean, computers back then was Fortran, Pascal, Assembly. If you could get a Unix class and start learning some different things with Unix, you were kind of lucky that you could get in there and start picking some of that stuff up. But when I first went to college, I wanted to go into marine biology or aquatic biology and go into oceanography. I was always good at computers. Computers always came natural to me, but there was no way to make money at it, right? When you start thinking about things back then, you're like, when you come out of college, you're going to make money or you're going to do something you love. And rarely do the two of those things come together. Yep. I had kind of given up on money and said, hey, I want to go into oceanography and I'm going to do something that I really enjoy. My wife, I got married right out of college and my wife the whole time is basically saying, you love computers, go do something with computers. So was was oceanography, were you resigning yourself to oceanography or or was that something you equally loved at the time? Um, it was something I equally loved, and it was something I could do outside. I loved to dive. I've been scuba diving since I was probably about 18, 19 years old and traveled all over the world diving um, when I was young and really had no responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And it's just really something that I love to do, and it was something that it got me outside, and I wasn't trapped in a room you know, in front of a terminal all day, which is what I did when I wasn't outside. Right? I came in and kind of did that as, as something else that I enjoyed. But probably mid-90s, you know, this thing came around that was called the Internet and all these interconnected systems. And Cisco was, you know, promoting their routers and switches, which nobody had ever heard of or seen before. And, you know, the dot-com industry started to boom and Amazon was coming along with their IPOs. And there was a new IPO that was announced every other week. And people were, you know, making thousands in a day trying to figure out what IPO to get a hold of next. You know, and... Citibank was building a thing called a security operations center, which had never existed before. And I figured I would go back into computers because the whole concept of the internet and everything that was taking place just completely fascinated me. And I kind of fell in love with it. So how long, so were you in in oceanography for a decade or more or was it? No, no, a few years. I I went and worked at the aquarium in Camden in Camden, New Jersey. When it opened, I worked at the aquarium down at the Jersey shore here, built a lot of the stuff down there. Then I threw a roundabout way. I kind of got pulled into an animal shelter because of some connections with the animals that I had made. And I, I ran an animal shelter for about four and a half years in in New Jersey as well. So I was really into the whole taking care of the animals. You know, that was going to be my life, right? That's the direction I was going to go in. And I'd worked 
as a side job doing some basic networking and some computer setup when people needed it and started to realize that there was a, a much better future in the internet and in security, which again, I had been doing since I was very young and loved than there was in running and managing an animal shelter. Have you stayed involved with animals in the meantime? Is it still a passion of yours or has the work family life sort of uh, overwhelmed that? You kind of always stay attached. So I, I sat on the board. So I put together a board of directors for the animal shelter. Um, I sat on the board for a little while, definitely stayed in touch. I still keep in touch with some of the people that I worked with back then, just to see how things are going and, and how things come along. And my wife and my daughter and I, we do a lot of charitable work for Special Olympics and for some of the different SPCA and animal charities that are around. But it's very difficult to get away from it once you're involved. Yeah, there's something about helping others. It's kind of addictive. I mean, once you start doing good things for the folks and you see the results, animals, children, uh, people in need, uh, you, it's hard to stop. And something else I've noticed in, in doing a few security all-ins, all it seems to be a theme that people always seem to be giving back to the community like that. Um, then again, I think to some degree we see ourselves as protecting, right? Our role is as defenders. Do, do you think there's a, a match there? Is it is it a motivation for you that you help and protect others that is still underlying security? Or is it perhaps the fascination of the discipline itself or something else? What holds it, the attention for you with security? I think it's a combination of, of both of those things, right? I think the, the need to protect and and take care of the different parts of the environment or the people. And, you know, the East Coast Gaming Conference was this past week. And one of the topics we talked about at the conference is really protecting the users from themselves, right? They get emails, they get phishing, they get spear phishing attacks, they click on links. You know, they're, they're naturally curious about what's going to happen. And one of the things that are, you really enjoy is the ability to protect the company and protect the users. And at the end of the day, knowing that things are as safe as you can possibly make them. But the other piece of that is, I love to know how things work, right? I mean, growing up, I, a lot of, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and there was never a clock in their house that worked because I was constantly taking things apart and trying to figure <laughs> out how it worked or, or, you know, what makes them tick, you know, not to use a bad pun there. but Yeah, that was, that was a good one, though, yeah. <laughs> but it's very much the same. Like, how do things work? You know, when you hear about blockchain, and that's a big buzzword now, or artificial intelligence and lear machine learning, and what does that really mean? And you start looking at all these different things. And you and I both know that from 1982, 83, 84, until, you know, 2018, things are significantly different from a technology standpoint, but a lot of the basics still apply. So while you can establish this really firm framework and baseline of what you do, the technologies are constantly evolving, kind of like what we built with Arbor at Comcast. You know, that, yeah. that's something that Comcast didn't exist before. So the, the ability to look at that and figure out how do I make these things better and, and just genuinely get down to the bits and bytes of, of how they work is, is something that really drives me. For those, for those who, who aren't familiar with the reference, um, I had remarked to John uh, that I was so impressed with the fact that at Comcast you developed a real-time, not even really an ROI calculator, but it was a what's the business value of this solution set. I think there was something on the order of like 3,000 DDoS attacks a day that you were mitigating. And that there was no business value for it, but you kind of took the time to disassemble it and say, let's reassemble this in a way that any audience could understand. Um, and I and just want to put that out there. Is it, it, it was a great vision and it was a great execution because I used to visit you know, partner after partner and never did I see someone put it together quite so cleanly. It sounded like certainly some of the people you worked with were some of the some of the best people in the industry. And man, you guys you guys did some great things there. Is my external impression of the team right? Was it a great gel team, or was that just a great great sort of visual candy for an executive? No, no. Comcast has some of the smartest people that I've ever worked with, and I've been doing this for twenty years. I mean, I've worked with a lot of really smart people over the years, but the level of talent that's maintained and and fostered and educated and 
grows at Comcast is top notch. They do a really good job with bringing in talent, retaining the talent, and a bunch of really, really smart guys over there. That's awesome. Um, So uh, I kind of got the impression, so you got into the sock game. You liked war games. I kind of get the impression that things in motion, things that are happening, maybe pressure a bit are interesting to you. Is that a recurring theme? Is it the pace of security? Is is it addictive or is it just a... Are you the calm eye of the storm as everything rages around? I am absolutely the calm of the storm, and I've been, I've been told that many times. That once you see things so many times that you kind of have just take a methodical approach on how to tackle them and how to clean them up and how to take care of it. But the the pressure and the, the pace and the different things that are constantly coming at you are absolutely addictive. I, I can't speak for everybody who does this. I can only really speak for myself. But when you move through these industries and you see all the different things and, you know, like at Comcast, when things are moving a, a million miles an hour, or you go into an organization and you're working with them to build or develop a security practice and you start looking at all the different things that are going on around you, the downtime is really what makes you more nervous and you get more agitated during the the downtime than you do during the high-paced, high-pressure situations that you're, you just have to work through and find a solution for. So I don't really get frazzled or worked up by the things that are going on when it comes related to security because I know we can approach, I know we can remediate the issues that are in front of me, but I do enjoy the pressure and I do enjoy the pace. Absolutely. And does that carry over into the non-work side as well? I mean, if you uh, had the choice of anything to do with the free day that popped up, what would you... What do you think you would do? No, I, I enjoy downtime outside of work. I mean, because it doesn't, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, we have a pretty fast-paced life at home as well where we're constantly on the go. So, I mean, my t- typical day off is even on a day off, I'm up by 8 o'clock in the morning, pretty much go throughout most of the day, either doing things around the house or some day trip or some activity that's planned between my wife and my daughter. So to, to say that on a typical weekend, short of going to bed, I probably sit down for an hour or so during the weekend is it's probably accurate, fairly accurate. Cool. What are the hobbies you have with any alone time, that one hour? Are you a reader? Are you into music? Are you, do you watch movies? Is it uh, go to the beach? Is it go for a run? What's your vice? What's your guilty pleasure? Um, a couple things. I mean, I'm a movie junkie. I mean, I can quote just about any line or talk about any movie that's probably ever been made, which is really one of the beauties of the internet, right? I can I can watch a really crappy movie for about 30 minutes and then move on and find another really crappy movie. But um, I, I, I love movies. I love, I read a lot of books. I do archery, not really hunting Ooh. or target, target shooting around archery. I, I, I did that. I did that for a little while, and then uh, it just got to be too much. And I was losing arrows because I, I got a bow that was a little aggressive in its draw. I lost quite a few, but yeah, that. Do you still do archery? Um, and is it competitive? I know you um, I, I did shoot competitive for a little while. I shoot bare bow recurve. Two years ago or three years ago, I shot in the New Jersey State Championships, and I won for my division. Um, I, I don't cool. shoot as much as I'd like to, but I, I would wish I would like to do that more. And uh, you mentioned books. Is there a particular genre that you like? Is there anything, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Uh, anything that, that pulls you uh, on? I'm primarily drawn towards fiction. I love anything that's kind of post-apocalyptic, you know, into the world, uh, you know, EMP hits the U.S. and everybody has to, re- <laughs> has to, you know, respond or, you know, The Road is a great book that I really enjoyed. You know, anything kind of post-apocalyptic, Comic, whether it's yeah. realistic or monsters, you know, it's all good. I've got The Road on my list to read, but I, I understand there's also a movie, so I, I don't want to see that until I've read the book. Uh, were you a big fan of Neuromancer back in the day, given the time? I guess that was 1984 it came out and War Games was out. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a great book to read if you haven't read it because it covers so many different things that we talk about today, and we 
and they're all drawn from that book. You know, like it, the book itself talks about the Matrix and the different things that happened with the Matrix, and the movie was pulled directly from that. You know, I didn't a lot know there of there was a movie for it. Huh? Well, the Matrix. Oh, is, you know, oh you mean War Games? Matrix. Yeah, War. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the movie the, the Matrix. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying that the movie The Matrix took so many terms from the book. And at the same time, War Games was, of course, one of the first ones contemporary to it. But the two weren't similar because Neuromancer was set in the future for the time. Yes. And uh, like parts of Blade Runner, when they talk about different things in Blade Runner, you know, and the book itself is the first time the, der- the term cyberspace was, was ever kind of used in any kind of conversational format. So it's a, it's a great book to kind of preface all the different things that we see today. Really good. Yeah, it's, re- it's remarkable how ahead of its time it was. And I think the one after that that was similar was Snow Crash, which was Stevenson, right? Uh, Neil Patrick Stevenson. What, if anything, has, do those hobbies, do you think, bring? Do they, you quote movies and you, you know the sci-fi and you know the near future and some post-apocalyptic stuff. Does that color how you look at security at all? Do you bring any of that? To the game. Well, I think the the archery and so and the reading kind of just really helps me with my focus, right? If if you're in a room and you got ten different things all firing at you at one time, you know, focus is key and focus is very important. So that really helps me with focus. I mean, the t- the movies is really just every once in a while, everybody needs a little mindless entertainment, be able to take their mind away from whatever they're currently working on. So the movies to me are more of an escape, where some of the other things I do kind of help me focus and and keep everything centered. Yeah, so it's the, you know, a lot of what's happening right now, I find, in security is we sort of get enchanted with the potential that a lot of technologies bring. You uh, you mentioned the three earlier, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and blockchain. <clears throat> Any thoughts on hype versus reality in our industry right now? Uh, I sometimes go one side or the other, but I'd love to know how you see it. Are we overhyped or are we underreaching at the moment? I think we're way overhyped right now. You know, I stay away from RSA as an example right now, just because RSA is is just a, a vendor, an aggressive vendor conference. You know, and you can't walk anywhere through RSA without without hearing one of those three terms over oh, yeah. and over and over again. And I think we're really in a culture of fear right now when it comes to cybersecurity. And I think we're we're in a way overhyped mode. And one of the things that kind of I'm a firm believer that once you even as an executive either as a CIO, a CTO, a CISO, you have to have some sort of technology background or be able to understand technology. And and what I found is when you go into some of these different conferences and you get into this hype without really understanding how a lot of the technology functions or whether or not it can function for you and the overlaps of different tools and how you could use 20% of five different tools, you really need to understand the technology so that you can avoid those mistakes or avoid the hype. You know, I think blockchain right now has a tremendous amount of potential, especially with the, like the, the ledger functionality and to be able to, you know, with financial transactions and even in the, the online gaming and in the casino industry with all the different validation and verification of data. I, I think it's tremendous. I think AI and machine learning and learning behavior, I think the more we can automate and the more technology can do for us the better off we'll be. I I try to automate or bring as much automation into my program as possible, but I also have a lot of constraint and a lot of control around that so that I don't have production getting shut down in the middle of a Saturday night because something kind of went a little haywire. But to answer your question and without being as long-winded as I just was. No, uh, no, no, this is good. I think we're in a very overhyped mode. Yeah, I ha- I have to agree with you. I first of all, machine learning has been around for a very long time. We're only now beginning to plumb some of its depths. And but artificial intelligence for me, it it's almost moot. I mean, there is intelligence in security. It's carbon based. And your point about automation is enormous, right? That 
that we can, in fact, make the silicon intelligence serve the carbon to be as efficient as possible, right? That That is very doable. But one of my pet peeves, speaking of RSA conference, um, is uh, I used to have these marketing bingo cards. And then I realized that there were less and less words on them. It didn't make sense to make a bingo card anymore. There was like four and five. We used to have like 10 or 20. But I literally was on a panel with someone and folks can look this up. And we were talking about, you know, ways of stopping advanced attacks. And the person's answer was because math. And I'm like, okay, well, what kind of math? And they said, well, you have to have faith in math. I'm thinking they don't understand what math means. It was that <laughs> princess bride moment, right? I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? A bad paraphrase on my part. You could probably do a better job of it, but I'm totally with you on that. But I love how you singled out blockchain because there's some qualities there. We can use those, right? There are some systems that can't. But I still get very worried when I go to a conference on, say, blockchain, and at least nine-tenths of the people can barely spell it, and they're there for the enthusiasm. When I go for that double click and slightly deeper discussion, I don't find it. Have you seen blockchain done well or described well or its potential for some tasks that are critical being fulfilled at this point, or is it still future? No, what, I, what I've seen it at a couple different conferences, and I, I have that same experience. And the other thing I hear quite a bit around blockchain is everybody automatically associates it with Bitcoin, right? And you'll say, yeah. what do you know about blockchain? Well, we don't really plan on using Bitcoin anytime in the future, right? Like they <laughs> automatically associate those two together without really understanding what blockchain can do or the capabilities or that it's not tied directly to Bitcoin. But the one thing I've seen it used really well for is um, supply chain. So there's some different companies that are starting to experiment and starting to mm -hmm. put it into production where they have a lot of supply chain technologies and they're using things um, almost as, what do they call it, the real-time replenishment and being able to determine when things need to get ordered, how they need to get ordered, and the yep. communication to take place from multiple vendors or multiple product providers. Yeah, so it, 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 opens up, it opens up the whole ecosystem so you get redundancy without having to put a whole control framework in place place, which is very exciting. Yeah. yeah so you've seen, you've seen that and that's working. Is it being used in gaming as an industry or you're just tracking? It no, just tracking it in general. We're not using it in gaming yet. The analogy of, of poker, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't ask you a question, which is if, 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 if I do a, a poker game and you can say no to this if you want, or yes, no, no judgment. I'm thinking about doing one for CISOs and doing uh, security all in, you know, basically a CISOs play poker while talking security thing. Would you be up for joining us for that sometime? Sure. I, I think that'd be great. We're going to shift gears here uh, in the uh, last few questions of the uh, of the uh, well, let me here. Let me stop you for a yeah. second. Go ahead. I could even uh, make the arrangements. We could host it at the Tropicana. Oh, that's uh, I think I'd love that. Scott Howitt uh, also. Yeah, he said the same the thing. Room. Oh, wait. You have a poker room. I didn't realize you had a dedicated poker room. That would yeah, be fantastic. We, um, I will definitely take you up on that, I think. Um, I was talking to Scott Howitt, and he said that he would be involved in it as well. I know you know Scott, and there's some other folks who've all said they would take part, so we'll have to follow up on that. Uh, but I also want to ask a couple of final questions of you. Um, and by the way, feel free to jump in if anything else you want to discuss. If you were to talk to somebody coming up to the industry and realizing maybe they've heard the call early, maybe they haven't, maybe they've secretly taken things apart, as we discussed, or there have been a, a fan of the equivalent of war games today, I guess, what, what, what would that be? Maybe uh, Ready Player One or something? Or, uh, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah, oh, Mr. Robot. That's a much better example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you tell that person, him or her? What would you say to them? Words of wisdom from you. How can they shortcut some things and maybe go right to the heart of the matter? What, what would you say to them? Again, this is, this is my opinion, but this is kind of, we do have a lot of young guys coming up and young, girl, young women. And first of all, not to throw a commercial, I would love to see more women in technology 
mm-hmm. um, than what it is today. So I think the first thing we should focus on is how do we limit, even if it's an intimidation factor, I don't even know what the proper term would be, but how do we make it more approachable and acceptable to have women in technology? I mean, there's definitely a growth there and it's expanding, but there's also definitely a deficiency there as well. But I, I think the first thing I would say is focus on technology. I mean, you, it's very difficult to secure something or understand how to take it apart or understand how to protect it if you don't really understand the underlying technology or how things work. I mean, there's a lot of people that come up and they come up with a regulatory or compliance or audit background, which is great because they understand all the different components around that. But I'm a firm believer that regulation does not always lead to security. But if you have a strong security practice, you will usually meet the requirements of the regulation. So Mm -hmm. I think understanding technology and focusing on a technology background, understanding how networking works, understand if you talk about IPv4 or what subnetting is and how that all works so that you could break subnets apart or potentially understand how a VLAN could help you or protect you. Understand some basic Linux, understand some Windows, start with the technology, get a firm foundation of technology, and then start moving into the other components of how do they meet different regulatory or compliance needs. The other piece of that is don't if you haven't broken something in your life, especially in security, you're probably not doing any work. So always try to be as <laughs> you know, always try to be as safe as possible when you're doing things, but don't be afraid to take a few chances to get things done. As long as you have the best intentions and you're you're looking to protect the company. Always protect the company first. And you know, if you have the best intentions of protecting the company, communicate them out, make sure people know what you're doing. Don't work in a vacuum and don't be afraid to take a chance to get things done. And then the final piece of that is don't be a security architect or just an IT architect or IT engineer and forget about the fact that somebody has to come behind you and always operate this stuff that you're trying to deploy. So whether you're instituting a new tool or a new technology, at some point there's going to be some operational model that is necessary. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying with don't work in a vacuum and keep the people around you in the know so that if somebody needs to come behind you and operate this tool or understand how it works, you haven't just thrown a technology into an environment without any basic understanding of what do you do once it's in there. I have a firm belief that, and I call it the kids at Christmas challenge, where a lot of companies buy a lot of tools and they throw them out there and they don't really understand how they work or what they do. And they just think that once they're deployed, everything is safe. And they forget about all the care and feeding and all that goes into it. Kind of like, you know, Christmas morning, you open up all your presents, but you don't understand how any of them work. And it takes you a couple months to, to go back and actually play with them. But, you know, that's very important. Understand what you're doing, why you're doing and have a method you know, to the madness of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, you, you touched on so much there that really, and it's funny you use the kids at Christmas phrase because I was thinking when you were speaking earlier how my dad said if you play with, if you enjoy playing with trains and then somebody will pay you to do that one day, that would be an amazing thing. But yeah, the kids at Christmas is more, you're not going to figure out how to use the toy for a very long time. So don't just uh, sit there and stack them up, and g- get deep at something. And, and we, when you were talking, you mentioned networking. I remembered the way that for all that I had academic knowledge before it, I got deep on precisely that on the, the networking and protocol side. It was pick something that's good. Networking is highly relevant to security, right? So, and lastly, you also, I mean, out of so much, you also talked about showing your work that I would just say it's not about turning up with the right answers, being the most brilliant person in the room. It's about other people being able to track and work with you. And that builds far more trust and credibility than simply having the, being the person with all the answers. But I am going to ask one more of you just because I, I'd love to hear your perspective. So if you put on your sci-fi writer hat, because, you know, you like your, your movies and you like your books and stuff, but not post-apocalyptic, just pre-apocalyptic. We talked about um, blockchain, but what other, what do you think is the future direction of security, positive or negative? What do you think are some things to be excited or concerned about as sort of final thoughts for the audience? Let's start with concerns and then we'll go into the positive. So my biggest concern is just there is a huge deficit of talent. 
So when there's millions of open jobs or mil- millions of available jobs, and a lot of it, I think, goes back to the hype of, of people are building security programs, you don't always have the appropriate people in place to interview properly, right? So when you have talent deficits and you're trying to bring in talent to help you better secure the organization, but you don't necessarily have the talent in the organization to know what you're looking for or why you're looking for it, other than to meet a cybersecurity requirement, or you know that you need a cybersecurity expert. I've seen a lot of consulting organizations and a lot of people go into organizations strictly because they had cybersecurity tacked into their consulting practice or on a resume. So my biggest concern is there's not enough talent out there today to handle the needs within the cybersecurity space. The other concern is the fact that, you know, I have a lot of passion for what I do. I love what I do. And if I could do anything else, this is still what I would be doing. The people who are trying to get into these organizations or to trying to break into the organizations, they have a lot of passion for what they do. And a lot of it is monetary driven with potentially huge payoffs. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody who's not as passionate, who's in there and he's really just, he doesn't have the experience, he doesn't have the expertise, and he doesn't have the passion to do what he needs to do, he's going to lose every time. Because he has to be right yeah. every time, and you know the bad guys only have to be right once. So that that's my biggest concern: just the overall lack of talent and the ability to interview or bring the right talent into the right space. Yeah. So, you, so it's both a get enough people, and then make sure the people who are there are in it. That they're, you know, the podcast is called Security All In. Make sure they're yeah. all in, and every day. Um, it's like that, right? So I love that. John, thank you so much for being uh, on the podcast today. And I look forward to seeing you face to face and probably playing poker with you in your poker. Yeah, I think that'd be great. And thank you for the time today. And I appreciate the opportunity. 